G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Australian Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Christie-David, and I run a mortgage broking business called Atelier Wealth, where we specialize in helping property investors start out and scale up their property portfolios. And what I love to call is the ambitious property investor. So someone that's looking to uh, self-development, self, uh, I guess, invest in their knowledge. And that's why we bring in someone that we call best in breed, because they have the knowledge, they have the insights and the coalface of their particular line of work. And today is a great friend, uh, <laughs> all-round good bloke as well, uh, well-travelled man, Steve Polisi from Polisi Property. Welcome on. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me back in, in the studio, which is nice Mate, this as is, well. Not, this not in Europe. <laughs> correct. Well, we're going to touch on Europe in a second. Uh, before we do kick off, just want to reiterate, this is uh, a chat that's generally in nature and not intended to give advice. So please do seek out a professional. Uh, and we're just talking about that exact uh, that exact dialogue before, mate. I mean, we're here to talk about your world, which is commercial property. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, yeah, we, we actually want to impart some knowledge and some wisdom. So take, st- take what Steve says, look at your own situation, but we want to absorb everything that he's kind of putting out there because you've been doing this for quite some time and you've been helping so many commercial property investors kind of scale up. We want to get inside your head. Sounds good. But before we do kick off, you mentioned just before, the last time we did this, you were in Europe. I've, yeah. seen, your, I've seen your social media, mate, your buddy, gallivanting <laughs> all over Europe, having a good old time. Now you've got a four-month-old. Yeah. yeah. Uh, take us through life. How's it been and, and how's it changed? Life, life's been cool. So I've been, what, two and a half years in Europe. Uh, wow. I did 15 different countries. Weirdly, when I released my commercial book, yeah. that's when I went over to Europe and right. I had every friend and buyer's agent being like, what are you doing, Steve? You're it's an not idiot. A good like, it's not yeah, a good this, time. Is, this is where you expand your business. And now we're, we're under contract on 40 properties at the moment and I've yeah. got 13 staff and it's kind of all accelerated from there. Weirdly, going to Europe was the best thing that happened for the business. And we, we chat about this like personally yes. about Spot growing on. business and things like that because it forced me to treat my business like a business. I had yes. an availability from 1 p.m. till 9 p.m. Australian time. That's when I had to do all my work. Then I also had to hire people for the other time and trust them to actually do it. So yeah. then getting the right systems in place, the right people, the right processes, and even focusing on like no longer just doing the networking, going and like having coffees with lots of people. It's like, cool, how do I get to lots of people on social media? Yeah. So I was do educational content, videos, books, free downloads, spreadsheets, and it actually just forced the organic growth that way. That's fantastic. You're spot on. Look at any business. I mean, you take when we just take a small holiday. Yeah. Yeah, you know, team step up. Yeah. They love it. The you know, we're not snooping around. Um, but also I think clients get a different experience as well, because if it, we become the centerpiece. They're not accessing the rest of the IP and the team or a different way of delivering, yeah. for example, as well. I think it becomes like a, a, a magic recipe that like get out of the way and let it grow. And like with commercial property, I'm selling the dream of passive income. So it'd be yeah. very weird for me to be working like some buyer's agents 12 hours a day sitting in the office being like, oh, but I've got a 200 grand passive income. Who cares? You're not spending it. <laughs> like mm. I grew a passive income because I love travel. I like hiking, rock climbing, and traveling. Yeah. So why would I not do that? And then weirdly I get trust. So like the more I was traveling, the more people go, oh, maybe Steve's legit. Maybe that guy who's like yeah. tatted up wearing shorts is is somewhat legit. And Great. and even like with sales calls, like I no longer had to do the hard sale. If someone wasn't interested, I'd be like, oh, all the best. And then all of a sudden they'd be like, no, no, I want to work with you. And you're like, <laughs> oh, all right, make up your mind. So just I found stop doing a hard sell and just just give content and education like this stuff. And it, it, this Isn't comes back it? to you. Yeah. When I think when we give away our knowledge, and this is purely what this podcast has always been, uh, like started out with commonly asked questions, yeah. and we still get some great questions. But now it's like, hey, mate, we just, we're sitting on a mountain of knowledge. Yeah. We've got access to great people here. Why don't we share it? And yeah. that's uh, you know, we're getting some really good feedback from listeners as well. So uh, that's where I really want to kind of have a chat to you today. So 
we'll go through commercial, we'll go through kind of where, where we are at the moment, we'll go through what the future looks like as well. But right here, right now, what are you seeing from a commercial property perspective, Steve? Yep. So vacancy rates for commercial, all-time low. So right. like literally all-time low. Most capital cities, we're 0 to 0.5% vacancy rates. Okay. So even where we are now, we're in North Sydney at the moment. Yep. 0% vacancy rates in industrial property in North Sydney at the okay. moment. So like a lot of people will say, oh, don't touch commercial, it's too high risk. Yes, for office space. Yes, for some retail. But there's certain sectors you can have low risk. So- most of what I'm buying at the moment is industrial around Australia yeah. because um, vacancy rates are so tight. I still buy retail like medical centres, cafes, hairdressers, stuff like that where you have the need there. But as long as you know what you're doing, you can buy really well. But just just run around the grounds. Um, you'll get your best yields uh, in Brisbane and Perth for capital cities at the moment. Okay. Uh, probably followed by Adelaide, Sydney and Canberra. Yeah. Uh, Melbourne's the lowest and then Tasmania is a bit of a regional town, even though it's a capital city, so it's a bit mm. of a different one. But um, that's kind of the order where you'll get. Okay. Um, I'm buying a lot in Brisbane and Perth because there's really good bang for buck. Yeah. Get like six, seven percent net yields, whereas Sydney you're probably talking five to six. Mm. Melbourne you're talking four to five. Why is Melbourne so low at the moment? <sighs> Why is Melbourne rents and yields so low? It's just <laughs> it's just lack of demand and like the state's in debt. What is it, a billion dollars yeah. or something like that? So there's this less of demand, less drivers, but. It's just supply and demand. That's where prices mm. come from. That's where rents come from. Um, but um, I, I just don't see the need to buy a 3% yielding commercial. Like what's the point? I'd rather go buy a 5% gross yielding residential, which will end up somewhat similar with yeah. slightly lower risk. Yeah, okay. You touched on resi there for a second. It's probably the common, and we, we hear it when talking to our existing clients, you probably have this in your initial calls, resi versus commercial is almost a bias and sometimes mm -hmm. a confirmation bias one particular over the other. Yep. Um, how do you unpack that conversation with someone going, oh, look, I think I just stick to resi because that's, you know, that's tried and tested versus commercial feels like we're yeah. Yeah, uncharted waters sometimes. Most, most of the time it's a misconception for myths. So yeah. like mo the biggest misconception is we're going to have big periods of vacancy for commercial. Yeah. Yes, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to have a huge vacancy. You go buy, buy on a regional Australia and there's an oversupply, it will sit there vacant for years. But like I just mentioned with Sydney and Brisbane, that vacancy rates are sub 0.5%. Mm. So that's one myth. The other one is you need a bigger deposit, um, which is true, but you can get 80% loans. You can't get 90% with lenders mortgage insurance, okay. but you can get 80%. Most of the time it's 70%. Um, but as a, as a forefront, like you will get the exact same capital growth with commercial as you do as resi. So that's probably the third, the third myth. Okay. And anyone who tries to argue this point with me, I have yeah. an easy way to shut it down. If residential grew more than commercial, why is residential not more expensive? Because over 30 years, 2% more growth per year on year on year, it should be three to five times the price. But most people say commercial is too expensive to get into. So how did it get expensive if it doesn't have the same capital growth? Nice. The, the myth comes from different commercials grow at different rates. Yeah. A high density office with no land component, it's going to have less growth than a freestanding warehouse that has a land component. Same as residential. Freestanding house grows more than a high-density apartment. So there's people with this bucket in certain commercial. I get it on social media. If I do a post about anything commercial, the keyboard warriors come in and be like, yeah, offices are sitting vacant everywhere. And I just respond with, don't buy office. <laughs> like yeah. there's there's other options. And there's, again, you talk about resi versus, you talk about different asset classes in resi. Yep. You can do more to a house than you can to an apartment. Yeah. Like you can add a mezzanine to a commercial yeah. warehouse, for example. Everything you can do to a freestanding house, you can do to a commercial plus more because yep. you've got multi-tenancies, you can put solar panels, you can put ATM machines, you can put telecommunications, 
You can put mezzanine areas, office space, subdivision, grow, build up. I've got a cafe in Brisbane. I'm building a residential on top of the cafe. That's so fine. there's there's all those other options. You, I don't want to sugarcoat it though for the listeners. Like there, yeah. there is that, way that more. The next part that I want to go to again. Yeah. Let's, let's lift the hood on kind of, because this is not, uh, even if it's resi, it's not passive. You mentioned about passive income. There's a certain sense of being active in these, with your portfolio as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yes and no. Certain commercial are very hands-off. If you go buy a warehouse in Sydney and it's three concrete tilt-up panels and a roller door, yeah, it's not much. The property manager, they've got to do their job and check like fire compliance and do all the inspections sure. and it's really it across like the, nothing can really go wrong. Like yeah. it's some concrete walls. Whereas a house is always a bit of maintenance bills here and there. Um so just this, this sort of depends where you're buying, but where it's not passive is actually doing the work to find a commercial. Like just to put it in perspective, I'll, I'll read off some stuff like just looking at commercial, you've got to do lease review, contract review, tenant interviews, foot and road traffic analysis, business analysis, uh, interview the tenant, vacancy studies, occupancy studies, check leases are registered, check fire compliance, check asbestos <laughs> registers. I do a credit history check on the tenant. Um, I interview competing like um, businesses in the area and then look at what other complexes are in there. Talk to a town planner to find out if they're building any competing types of like businesses or buildings nearby. Like, the, like my, my due diligence report is like 60, 70 pages long as a minimum. Residential, no offense to Resi, because I, I personally own eight residential as well, is check floods, check housing commission, don't buy greenfield, get a good good kind of area with some value add potential. Like that's pretty much the bulk of what you do. The argument with the Resi buyers agents and Resi investors say is choosing the area is the hard one because that's yeah. where you get the capital growth. Yes. Buying a negatively geared property, you are banking on that. I want to get that plus the cash flow. So I can analyze the cash flow because I know what it is going to be now. So yeah. for me, commercial, you get the same capital growth, way more cash flow. It's a much better performer, but you need to know what you're doing. Like you you can burn yourself massively if you don't. Okay. So the argument then, so if you say, look, I'm a rookie or I want to DIY versus mm -hmm. done with you or buy you, what is that? What is the difference? You've probably seen test cases where you had clients that said, look, I'll just do it myself instead of balking at a fee and – you, you, nine times out of 10, you might be all right. But like yeah. I sell my services a little bit is like, I can do the whole clickbaity stuff of I get under market value, yeah, off market, sure. all that stuff. But I don't do that. I, I make sure you don't make a mistake yeah. because that one in 10 time, if you get it wrong, you've shot yourself in the foot and you can't invest. Like imagine if you buy a commercial and in a year's time, it goes vacant for two years. You can't, you can't do your residential investing. And all of a sudden you've got a million dollar asset or whatever it may be cash flow. with no income, zero. Right. At least with residential, you're probably going to have a tenant for most of the time. So yeah. it's, it's the risk. So I try to just say to people like, I do get access to off market and that, but it's for making sure you don't make a mistake. And like we're checking everything that we actually know. So yeah, right. yeah it just depends what you're after. Cool. And so, yes, you're being really fortunate to put out a couple of books, for example. Mm -hmm. So you did the resi and the commercial property explained as well. Mm -hmm. How's that gone for you? Yeah, I've gone really well. I think we're 22,000 copies sold now. Awesome. Um, I hated writing a book because <laughs> like the commercial one I did first, I was up every night for three hours for about a year. Wow. Um, but then this is a first world problem. But like yeah. what happened was everyone started just putting me as a commercial guy. So anyone who had a conversation with me was just like, are oh, you going to push me to commercially the commercial guy? I'm like, no, no, I've got lots of resis. I've purchased about a thousand residential properties. I like resi, so then begrudgingly I'm just like, I need to write a resi book so people don't think I'm giving them biased advice. Yeah. Because that's what most buyers agents do. They always find their niche because it's easier to make noise on social media. So they're yeah, always so the, the cash flow guy or the Brisbane guy or the regional guy or the granny Buy 10 properties guy. in 10 years. Buy 10 yeah. properties and they've they always got something. Yeah. I don't want to be known. I used to be a structural engineer. I want to be known that the guy just gives like good, honest advice. And the biggest question I get, and you might even ask this, is 
when's commercial right for you? That, that's exactly that's, that's talk strategy. Yeah. Most people come like, oh, should I buy commercial yet? And that, that's the question you kind of need to go over. Yeah. So if that conversation has come up, so we talk strategies. And so, I mean, we're, we're hell bent on trying to build more, you know, property millionaires, you know, building intergenerational wealth through investing in quality assets yeah. and, and building a high performance property portfolio. So when does commercial become a really good addition to the portfolio, do you think? Yeah. So it depends on what your goals are. So the, the three questions I ask every person is what you're trying to achieve yeah. over what time frame, versus what you've got to work with. And what I mean by that is talking to a broker like you and yeah. finding out like borrowing capacities because sometimes you've got a much bigger borrowing capacity for residential because let's let's use a case example. So if I get a 20-year-old client, they say, oh, Steve, I want a 50K passive income. I want commercial because it's going to give me a much bigger, bigger passive income than resi. Yeah. I will talk them into residential because I'd say, look, if you've got aggressive and you've got banker mum and dad to fall back on, go get some 90% loans. Go accumulate. Yeah. Get two or three residential properties on 90% loans versus one commercial on a 70% loan. We've got three times the portfolio. Mm. If it grows exactly the same, we've got three times more wealth to then put into a commercial three times the size. So that's that's more right for them. If you come to me and you're 63 years old and you're talking about retirement in three years' time, how is me buying you a negatively geared residential property going to help you? Like yeah. 10 grand a year. It would have to shit the lights out from a capital growth perspective. Yeah, would that's be right. the, the only strategy that you'd But you know, if any buyer's agent or any investor says they can guarantee capital growth in yes. three years, run a mile. Because if there was that easy, we'd live in the Bahamas on a private island. Um, so... It just depends. Well, if you caravan around Australia like you do. Yeah. yeah. Well, but again, it just depends what you want. Like I, I checked out Mentor a little bit and instead of sailing on a $20 million yacht, I drive like a $20,000 camper van. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. it's that balance there. But so finding out like what they've got to work with, so yeah. i.e. the borrowing capacity is a big part, and then what time frame we want to do it over. So like you won't build a 50 grand passive income or 100 grand passive income in resi in five years' time. It's impossible. Any, any people that say, oh, I'll build a 100K resi portfolio – you need to have like a 12 meal portfolio and that's going to take 10, 12 years. Even if you bought, let's say, a neutrally geared portfolio and you had 100 grand worth of rent coming in, yeah. that rent's got to double before you actually have that passive income. Okay. And rents generally double every seven to 12 years. So that's a seven to 12 year plan. Whereas if you buy like a million dollar commercial on a 6% net yield, that will pay itself off in about 12 years. So 60 grand that doubles as well, you've now got 120 grand. Mm. So what you've done with like a five to 10 mil portfolio in resi, you've done with a one mil commercial. So that that's the benefit. But yeah, what you're trying to achieve over what time frame versus what we've got to work with. Normally what actually happens is a lot of my investors come with two or three properties yeah. and they're like, I'm out of serviceability. I, I can't I can't borrow anymore because of serviceability. What can I do? Commercial offers like lease stock loans and things like that. So you might be capital rich or equity rich, but you can't borrow. But commercial's got some obviously higher leverage, lease stock loans, even just better borrowing capacity because when banks do their shading, yeah. it looks much more attractive as well. So that's when they'll kind of shift out of necessity more than anything. Yeah, yeah. And you just, I mean, you touched on bank policy as well, which is probably seeing where the, the dial really kind of turn up a fair bit mm. with bank policies. Um, I mean, I shared with you that one of our recent podcasts is where Bernie and I bought a, a commercial office for our um, for our um, for our team and going through that being self-employed and then going through commercial I was blown away by the different type of options that we had yeah. and we could literally leverage against our home at 100% if we wanted to we could lend against the business there were so many ways to st stack the deal up and what you needed to and Bernie and I spoke about this was to find a really savvy commercial broker or a banker 
that really understood. Bernie is very qualified. I've worked <laughs> with her personally. She, she, she knows what she's talking about. And it's, but it takes that, it takes that yeah. level of speciality. And, but banks, well, we're coming back to that, which is um, lending policies have really kind of dialed up. Yeah. You've probably seen that as well when, you know, clients are now coming to you going, they're probably frustrated or on the fringe before going, actually, there's a couple more policies that have really kind of. Yeah. Um, and I think make, making sure you're speaking to a commercial savvy broker is the most important because a resi broker is always going to say they can do it because they don't want to miss out on a commission, mm. but they'll fumble around with it and it's always a nightmare. Commercial is different lending. Sometimes you actually need to know someone at the lender and you call them like, and then they'll give you that, yeah, we can get this done. And so you kind of put your pile, your, your notes on yeah. the top of the pile. Commercial is, it's, you put it in, there's not the strict policy that there is with resi. So tick, tick, tick gets approved. Versus it's like, hey, can you argue the case here? Can yeah. you sell this deal in? Is there conviction in this, for example? Yeah. Uh, and then there's more gray areas as well, yeah, yeah. which is not there in Resi. It's black and white. Yeah. But yeah. Resi's sometimes will have some postcode restrictions. And that's, that's about kind, it. And that's right? kind of it. And yeah. most of the time it's it's rational to have postcode it's restrictions. Borrower restrictions? or it's yeah. like They don't want yeah. you to buy in like a mining town where the mine's closing right. down and stuff like that. Commercial still has that as well. They'll even have certain assets that they don't like. So like yeah. specialized assets like petrol stations, cinemas, car wash stations, Child stuff care. like that. Childcare, yeah. that gets put in a different pile because it's a different risk profile yeah. to say like an industrial warehouse. I never really have an issue with like finance because I've actually got a value in my team. So we know yeah. what the banks are looking at, but it's just they want to see good tenant, good location, good infrastructure spending, low vacancy rates, versatile premises. They're they're banking their risk. That's why you pay a high deposit. They're, mm. they're hedging their bets of if this turns sour – we can sell this for 30% less, for instance, and get our money back. Right. And that's that's why, because it is high risk. Perfect. So what does the outlook look? So, I mean, we're coming into another rate rise, for example, uh, coming to the new year. Yeah. What are you hearing, you know, boots on the ground, what are you hearing and seeing for the future of commercial? All right. So this is, I'm going to give you two predictions here. Okay. So the first, weirdly, every time interest rates go up, I get more interest for commercial because people that look at their resi portfolio go, I don't want to pay 20 grand a year, negative. Yes. Whereas commercial is still, still neutral or positive, even with really high interest rates. Like on a 70% LVR, interest rates need to be about 9.5% for a 6% yielding property to be negative. Okay. So I get more interest there. But to answer your question, there's two scenarios I see play out. The first ideal one is because vacancy rates are all-time low, we're seeing record high interest, uh, record high rent increases. Right. So like rents went up like 10 to 15% last year for industrial. Yeah. I can see that happening for another couple of years while the demand's still there. Um, if interest rates keep going up, sentiment drops. So the price will probably stay the same mm. because like the, the rental increases should cancel out interest rate rises. Yeah. Ideal situation, and I don't think this is going to happen, but is interest rates come down in the coming year and because rents are still going up and all of a sudden the 5 6 7% become 8 9%, that's what's going to give us a big kick of capital growth. Um, my prediction is we're going to see the same interest rates for the next two or three years. The rents will kind of creep up a little bit or make it a bit more attractive for investors mm. and then we'll kind of go the, the whole thing I think say is like interest rates are controlling the market because the macro data is too strong. Same as with residential, like the government's doing it because people are going absolutely nuts. So they're going, buying things on the edge of the affordability. So it's the only way they can calm it down. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually weirdly in support of high interest rates. I actually want the market to be steady. I want to have like 5% growth year on year on year. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see a market that jumps by 30%, drops by 15, jumps by 30%. Um, so I think we're just in a bit of a stable market for the next two or three years. Yeah. But so I tell my investors, Buy when you're ready, buy when your finances allow, buy when you're educated. Yeah. Like you won't you won't pick the market to a year or two. How many of your clients said, I don't know, Sydney was going to boom during COVID? And then it was going to fall with the fixed rate cliff this year. And yep. we're seeing them rebound again hard as we as we round out 2023. And uh, yeah, to your point around rates, and this is kind of, there's been 
whispers or murmurs. Obviously, a rate cut kind of maybe first half of next year, but I think that that ship's kind of sailing at the moment from what we're hearing, reading. I listened to Mark Boris kind of after the RBA rate decision as well, saying, look, I don't think we're going to see rates come down till late 2024, for example, maybe even 2025 based on what you know, the inflation data is looking like as well. So that in a, yeah. that baked in is just going to be like, well, if we get a rate cut, we're just going to end up to where we were kind of pre-November. I, I look at it from the investor point of view where like the data is the strongest it's ever been. Like mm. unemployment's ridiculously low. low. Rent increase is really high. Um, vacancy rates are all time low. Like low, every, su- low supply, yep. high migration. Yep. Like, well, everything on paper static. is really, really strong. Correct. So that's why high interest rates. But I, I find it funny when people make predictions for interest rates. Like I got friends who work in the bank as actuaries. Like they're yeah. 99.9 in high school, the smartest people I know, <laughs> and they don't even know. But that's then it. like everyone's my, got an opinion. My though. random mate who's a mechanic is like, oh, yeah, there's going to be two more rate rises, then it's going to reduce next year. And then I'm just like, what do you know? Yeah, what, what, you saw someone talk on a podcast there. And I do. So I see all the other buyers, agents, and brokers, and everyone makes yes. their predictions. I don't care about that. I'm buying. When I look at a commercial property, I look at demand in ten years' time. I go, okay, is there going to be more population growth on that asset that I'm buying? So look at census data, look at population growth trends. Cool. Yeah. Is that going to be more demand on that property? If there's twice as many people, you're going to need more car mechanics and wholesalers, fabricators, okay. distributors. So I can guarantee clients more demand. That generally equates to capital growth, but yeah. not necessarily because you could have high interest rates and that stifles it. But yeah. I want an asset that's in more demand. We've had wars over land for thousands of years. So if I can own a big portion of land with something functional on it, I know you're going to be all right long term. Yeah, nice. But I, I'm not a high-risk investor. Like I can go get 10% net yields in regional towns, but vacancy rates are two or three years. So mm. it's, it's not worth the risk for that one. Um, so it's just, it's just case by case. Yeah, nice. I like that. Yeah, I think to your point around uh, the interest rates, so the, I mean the discussion there just for a second would be why are interest rate fluctuations determining your propensity to buy? Yeah. So take me through, and I guess that's that's I guess my challenge. If you're listening here, going if you're if you're in that mindset, going, I'll buy when you know rates come down, or I'll wait. Uh, for example, it's like I think we and we have no vested interest in wh- what you do when you do it. Purely just I guess from our own experience, being years in the game, going how many times we've sat around, we've listened to people, I'll wait, or yeah. I'll wait for things to change. It's like. I think you take the opportunity when you can to buy what you can to buy quality, not for the sake of it. And that's something that hasn't gone out of fashion, irrespective of you, rate movement. You should be planning for high interest rates anyway. Mm. Like I've always budgeted 3% higher for whatever the interest rates when I make a purchase. And I look and so at, do the banks. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and even like my spreadsheets will go yeah. all the way up to 10% and think so. It might go higher than I have people go, oh, what if it goes to 12%? Yeah, but hopefully inflation will do its thing and get there. And hopefully my income's gone yeah, up by but, that stage as but well. But especially people buying residential and they're like, oh, I'm not going to buy it at the moment. Interest rates are too high. I'm mm. like, you're buying this for 30 years. Like, like what correct. are you worried about now? Like, if you bought it 10 years ago, you would have had it like a third paid off. Like, That's exactly um, So it. I just, just focus Third on paid it. off, it would have gone up, shot up in value as well. You probably haven't been, you know, if you were renting, there's a sunk cost with renting yeah. as well. And the ability just to get on with life. And I think sometimes that's the, the intangible, which is imagine what you could have done from a wealth position, you maybe yeah. even could have bought another investment property or two with that with that uplift in the equity. You, you need to protect yourself. Have your buffers, run your run your scenarios. But there, there's always a reason not to buy. Like I've been a buyer's agent for seven years now and done 1,500 deals. Yeah. 
there is always like a royal commission, removal of negative gearing, interest, the interest, the interest only changes, up, yeah, APRA right. lending restriction changes, SMSF su- changes, supply chain issues, war in Ukraine, Iraq, blah, blah, blah. Like there's everything. I saw a cool graph on social media the other day where it had the, the chart of the line going up wiggle, 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 yeah. and there was like 20 different major events that people said that was going to cause a crash. But supply and demand, like the supply is way less than the demand at the moment. So mm. for the next five years, it's going to remain strong. Not guaranteeing capital growth. Like I said, don't trust anyone who says, oh, definitely going to get capital growth in the next year or two. But there's demand there. So mm. so long term, you're going to be okay. Beautiful. What's next for you, mate? And then personally, you got your yeah. bub in tow. <laughs> and I guess, yeah, fatherhood has changed the outlook probably, at all. Or Probably get some sleep, as I said, before <laughs> I got here. I'm like, get me a coffee. I've had three hours sleep. Uh, no, I just like move back to Australia. Just keep catching up with friends, family. I'm going to buy a slightly upgrade camper van, something with a bit more roof height so I can actually yeah, stand in it because yeah, I'm six foot three. Yeah. yeah. Um, then just do the big big loop around Australia and just, just keep working and growing the business and yeah. hopefully find some cool commercial deals. Good on you, mate. I mean, travel always, you, just to kind of touch on this, uh, gives you a bit of perspective about how good we have it here. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that with that way when you come back here after travelling through Europe? I mean, obviously it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Ta- not taking that away from it. But do you realise how lucky we are to call Australia home? Is that something that's resonated with I, you? I do. And it's funny you mentioned that. You realise when you get back people whinging about the things that people overseas are yearning for. Like sure. I, I was based in the UK, which is grey sky, drizzle constantly. Yeah. And they're like, how good would it be being Australian in the weather? And you get here and people are like, oh, it's too hot. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> put on a singlet, put on some shorts, go for a swim. Like there's some yeah. options there. Um, but it just, I actually, I actually really like travelling to third world countries because it's mm. very hard to be unhappy when you get back and you live a life of luxury. And they're so, I'm insane. They're actually they're happier. So insanely happier. Yeah, yeah great. Uh, my, my partner used to be on the board for Lifeline in Australia. Oh, wow. And weirdly, the most affluent areas had the highest rate of depression. So mm. <laughs> the money and the location with lifestyle wasn't actually changing happiness. So there, there's, yeah. there's something more to it than that yeah, I think you need to self-reflect on. Hey, spot on. I mean, we look at like wealth uh, on paper and then you look yeah. at wealth and you see, and you, you probably meet some people, we've had plenty of people that have got some ginormous portfolios. I'm like, someone would kill for it and they're still not happy. And I, yeah. I get this all the time. You know, Bernie's a really good kind of, gives me an uppercut going, we are lucky. Yeah, We may not have everything, but it's like, hey man, health. And I think the most important thing is health, whether that's mental, physical, spiritual, yeah. well-being health. Like there's so much that comes into health is wealth. Yeah, The last few years have taught us that, but you're right, mate. I think when you travel to third world countries, you start to realise how truly blessed we are. I think if you just reflect well, like I, I get clients that find it weird that I'm not like aggressively buying properties anymore. I'm actually reducing my OVR. I actually want to get rid of debt in the next mm. five years and be completely financially free. Yes, I could be wealthier in 10 years' time, but I can't be happy on a couple hundred grand passive income per year. Nothing is going to make you happy. You need to yeah. find a, some something else in life. But, yeah, I just want a powerful house, keep travelling around, just enjoy life and spend time with my little girl. Refreshing, mate. I love it. It's uh, you're saying that I could turn up the dial, but yeah, is we, it, we is have this gonna, discussion all the is time. Is it going to two, three x my happiness, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. mate? You'll realize when you when you use a little girl you've got. Yeah, little girl, little girl, mate. When she starts talking, she doesn't care how many properties you've got. Yeah, but they will care when you're not there for the dance practice, mate, and and, and you're not around. So, no. mate, onwards and upwards, man. <laughs> I, 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 I love chatting to you. It's real talk, you know. Yep, commercial property mortgage is what we do, but behind the scenes, I think what we're really talking about is there's families here. There's trying to create, you know, make some good decisions to create some long-term wealth. But that means there's got to be some action taken. And I think that's what we're really all about is how do you take the right next step for action. So if you do want to have a chat, uh, mortgages, if you do want to have a chat, commercial buying will include details for yourself, Steve, and your team at Policy Property. Uh, 
Have we got that right? The Italian, <laughs> uh, the Italian pronunciation. <laughs> well, I say polisi, and we had yeah. this chat beforehand. <laughs> but when I was in Italy a couple of months ago, they said it was actually polisa, okay. um, which I find hilarious because my partner's called Lisa. Yeah. And we're engaged, so she's going to be Lisa Polisa. Yeah, I, I love it. That'll, that'll go down well with her, I'm sure. <laughs> well, f- funny enough, her last name's His Cock. So like okay. it's, it's probably it not. Uh, uh, <laughs> although she she said at school she never got teased because you can't take it anywhere. Yeah. So, like, if it sort of sounds a bit dirty, kids will kind of go jump on that. But yeah. you, you can't make his cock worse. I can't get you back. So yeah. she's just like, oh, okay, that's fine. Nothing to see here. Keep moving on. <laughs> awesome. I want to say thank you very much again. You, uh, if you. you found this episode helpful, please leave us a review. We've been getting some uh, really great feedback as well from people kind of sending us emails. Got a couple of LinkedIn messages so from listeners. So if you are listening uh, from the sidelines, we want to hear from you as well. It means a lot to us uh, when you engage with our content as well. And uh, let us know if this is hitting the spot for you. That's a wrap for another episode of the Australian Property Investment Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. See you guys.